Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys, and babies. Let's make it rain. Hello, hello, and welcome back to The Princess and the Bee. As always, give yourself a hot dose of gratitude for choosing content that uplifts, inspires, challenges, champions you to rise into your highest and best. And I am so excited today because we are bringing, we are shifting up the game on the B of the bank accounts with this amazing guest that I have today. Carolina Campbell is an experienced finance manager with a 20 year history of success in various client related in IR strategy roles at various New York City banks, New York City investment banks. So she is like master of numbers. Carolina has worked with many well-known firms, many of which you've heard of, Goldman Sachs, Jeffries, and Evercore. She has always been committed to women's causes and was an active member of senior female networks and organizations throughout her time in finance. Carolina decided to make a lifestyle and professional change and moved to Los Angeles last year. And as she continued to pursue opportunities in finance, she realized that there was something else that she could be doing in the interim. And she birthed her business baby. Illuminate Business Development Strategy and Consulting was created. It started with the intention of being of service and support to the female entrepreneur ecosystem in LA and across the country. And I am so excited because numbers and these terms like venture capital, personal equity, balance sheets, P&Ls can sometimes seem and feel a little scary, a little complicated, a little like we don't know what territory we're in, especially for the service-based entrepreneurs who just like go into building a business with just a heart to serve people. And so that is why I'm so excited to have her on today because we're going to dive into all things uh, numbers, finance, and it's going to be so... I just know she's going to make it sexy. So it's just how we roll. So Carolina, welcome. Thank you, Kim. So fun to be on with you. I love your energy and I'm just thrilled to be, uh, to be here. Awesome. So I would love to start out with just some basic definitions to make these like terminology things not seem so daunting. So personal equity brief definition of what that is. Um, well, so let, let me take a step back. So, um, and I'll answer, you know, I'll, I'll be happy to define any, cool. any word. Um, so, so yes, I do think that numbers can be daunting and scary. I think, you know, we often hear the phrase, regardless of whether you're an entrepreneur or not, like, I'm not a math person. Like people just throw that out. That's something we hear a lot, right? From friends, from whatever. Oh, I can't do math. I, you know, and so I think it's a very well-known thing that um, you know numbers can be scary. Mm. However, I really like to think of it and say there is so much power in your numbers. You know, there is there is hidden power in knowing your numbers. You know, think of 
think of, you know, Shark Tank. We've all watched that show. We all love it. We all see these people go up and present their ideas. Some of them are way better versed than others on their numbers. And you see how these people who are, you know, sitting there judging them, Mark Cuban, Barbara Corcoran, all these well-known finance mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, um, you know, basically skewer them because these individuals are not well-prepared. So, you know, had they been well-prepared, the conversation might've gone a different way. So I like to think of it as a method of empowerment and not something to run from and really to just, you know, know your numbers, know your business, know them cold, um, know them to the point where you don't have to whip out a piece of paper and at any given moment, you know exactly where you are. And so I really think that that, for me is the focus of what wanted to make me get started on doing this um, and just really helping empower people with knowledge and knowledge of their own business. So in your experience with, with working with female business owners compared to male business owners, is there a difference as far as the entrepreneurs who know their numbers and know they're not? Is there like a gender difference or is it kind of across the board depending upon the type of person? Yeah, I, I would say it's probably a little bit of the latter. However, I would take it a step further and add that, you know, in my experience, a lot of, um, you know, it, it, it's very, it can be very classic, Kim. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you have these women who have this fabulous idea, who are very smart, very creative, and, you know, might be kind of stuck or might be sort of questioning their self-worth or their ability to kind of take their business to the next level. Or as you have seen a million times, like not charge the right amount for their service or their, you know, their, their, their good or whatever it is. And oftentimes, and I know this is so stereotypical, but it just happens to be the case you know, men just kind of bounce right in and they're like, yep, I'm charging, you know, 600 bucks an hour, take it or leave it. And you're just like, wait, how did, you know, like, how did you come up with that? Right? <laughs> so they just decided it. Why not? And, and, and I think that's the, that's the thing is that you, you touch on a fabulous topic of self-worth being involved with the numbers. And that is something that I drill into my entrepreneurs is that you are not your business and your business is not you like you are by and because you and even though you've infused so much passion so much love so much heart so much service into it at yeah. the same time the the what's on a balance sheet it does it's no in no way reflection of who you are as a person it's a reflection of the actions that have been taken either by the business owner or by the team or by the bit like by the business in general. And then what, what was the result of that action and the right. result is on the balance sheet. It's like, this, this is the result of the actions that were taken, but the, you are not your behavior. You are not your actions. And so you're so often we can tie our identity up with the worth of a number. Yes. Right, whether it's what we're charging or what we're selling or how much money we're making. And it's like pull, separating the two so that you can actually have that perspective is so essential. 
I couldn't agree more. I think that's a really, uh, that's a great point because, and especially, you know, as you know, working with entrepreneurs and solopreneurs, the lines get blurred very easily, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I am the business, the business is me, the name is me, you know, it's like whatever happens, whatever decision is taken comes back to me. So there isn't necessarily that division of, church and state, so to speak, where if you're working for a corporate, you just, you know, you leave and you do your job and that's kind of the way it works. So there is this sense of, um, you know, inability to sort of differentiate and delineate that oftentimes whatever might be on your balance sheet or on your P&L statement, or if you do have to take a loan out, was a function of your, you know, failure of a bad decision or whatever the case might be. And what I'm noticing is, you know, some of the clients that I've spoken with come to me sort of in the middle of all of this. And they're like, oh, I'm already in trouble. Or, you know, now because of Corona, I'm really concerned and I don't know what to do. And that's all super valid. I'm not, you know, sort of um, telling them that they don't have a cause for concern. But I think the point is get ahead of it right? Mm -hmm. So if you're educated and do the work early on and get someone to help you and admit that you need some help, you know, that's really where your power lies. Because the reality is, let's not kid ourselves. Most entrepreneurs are cash strapped. You know, they want to be super mindful about how much money they're putting into the business. It's usually not investment money from someone else. It's typically your own money. And I totally understand that. And, you know, people like you and I who offer services often say, well, you know, if you, if, are you questioning your own self-worth or don't you want to invest in yourself? And that's a very fair question, but we do have to acknowledge that the fear is real, that mm -hmm. they don't want to spend more money unnecessarily. However, I really encourage people to get a very, very, very strong grasp on their numbers um, and just understand the different types of funding that could exist out there because that's really where your power lies. And by the way, I'll say one more thing on that. You know, I was working with someone, I know I told you about her. She's a fine art gallery owner up in San Francisco. She's very successful, you know, is not in any sort of debt, definitely looking to take this business to the next level. And she was approached by an investor. This investor definitely knew that she was not a finance person. Mm. And the structure of the deal, once she asked me to review it, was not really that interesting for her. And had she just kind of said yes, because they offered a big amount of money and it sounds like a lot of money without really understanding the mechanics behind the deal, the terms of the deal, you know, you could get yourself into a lot of trouble and it might sound enticing and you might be in a position where you're like, wow, someone's offering me money and they only want to take, you know, 10% of the company. That doesn't seem like a lot, but if you're not well versed on what this could mean for you in the future, you really could be getting yourself into a difficult position mm -hmm. without even knowing it. Yes. Yes. So much. I mean, oh my gosh, that there, there were so many pieces of that that I just want to dive into. One of which is uh, the beliefs around, around numbers. Like my, my thing is, is I'm dealing with beliefs all day long. And so often we have that belief of like, I'm not good with numbers or I don't know, or the shame or guilt that we feel around numbers. 
And that is something that is when you can separate the two and you just know your numbers and you know that that is, that is a reflection of actions, not of, not of who you are. And also you said something very powerful is a lot, most entrepreneurs, most of the ones that I work with are self-funded. So they're, they are either working a side job to pay, to build their business or their business is bringing in money and they are then refunding it and reinvesting that money back into the business. Right. And with that model though, it was, it was so fun. I was at business mastery with Tony Robbins and he said, so in a room of 2000 entrepreneurs, he said, so how many of you like all, all reinvest your money, all your money, like basically all your money back into the business. And he said, you ever hear the term, you shouldn't put all your, your eggs in one basket. He said, you're putting all your eggs in the one basket of your business. Right. Where they're not taking money out or paying themselves. They're not yeah. taking money out and paying and, and growing in an investment account, a personal investment account. So that just in case anything happens to your business, Corona, <laughs> like right. you have, you have finances, you have money to be able to sustain you through times of struggle and hardship. Yeah. And so what would you say are the three top three financial business planning mistakes that you see entrepreneurs make, have either made or are making? Yeah, I would say um, three, I mean, there are so many more, but the, you know, the top three, I would say, as we said before, is really just not knowing your numbers. Mm-hmm. I think that's number one. And, you know, yeah, people might say, oh, but I get my, you know, my Chase bank account statement and this is how much I spend. And then, you know, yeah, yeah, I know my numbers. No, that's not really knowing your numbers. You know, you have to have a very concrete, precise plan. And yes, I understand and we all understand there are variables. There are things that oftentimes you can't predict. You know, you can sit here and put together something that you think looks right and something, you know, there will be a variable at some point. That's understandable. But I really think you have to know exactly where you want this business to go, what you think it could look like in three months, how much revenue you actually need to achieve what it is that you're looking to achieve. And, you know, I'll give a quick example. I was working with a client who um, is starting her own online coaching and executive wellness business, which I think I had also told you about. And yep. she's super smart. You know, she went, she has a you know, corporate background and I had a lot of faith in her ability to kind of forge ahead and, you know, and, and do this. And, um, you know, I asked her one day to send me her startup costs and how much money she actually put into starting this business. And I said, and she said, well, what would you define as, you know, including to be included in that? And I gave her a long list of things. I said, any certifications that you have obviously taken on, your your website, you know, all of the capital that you needed to actually get, you know, your business cards and, and all of sort of the technical funding. And then I said, and by the way, you should put in a factor there for the sweat equity, okay? Because you sat there for a few hours or several hours and built this business and you should put a number for your own mental and sweat equity. And she's like, well, I, I, I don't think I realized how much money I have spent going into this business. And so when we put it down and put it down on paper and went through the numbers, she was really shocked. And I said, so just so we're clear, you have to make all of this back 
to get to ground zero. So if it's, you know, pick a round number, 20 grand, you have to make 20 grand back to actually be at ground zero, right? And that's a very simple, uh, you know, analogy. Most people are probably gonna go like, yeah, obviously, right? But that's 20 grand you have to make. And then to actually become profitable is another 20 grand. And then to actually become sustainable, I mean, who knows what that is, right? So I'm just really surprised at how a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, have these wonderful ideas, but really just don't understand the numbers. Um, the second thing that really jumps out at me is what I call the like wait and see method. And it's sort of like, and I'm sure you've seen this and I'm sure we could go on and on about that. <laughs> and I'm sure we've both been guilty of that at some point. I can't profess to not have done that myself. But I think all of humanity has, has done that. Like, let's just wait and see. Like, let's see if something magically happens and changes. Right. Like. Like all of a sudden, you know, your doorbell's going to ring and they're going to be like, oh, here are the 20 clients you were waiting for, you know? So, um, so putting that caveat on that statement where I completely understand that everybody, you know, has that feeling. And like we said, yourself and myself included, um, I think that if you are really serious about growing your business, getting it off the ground, taking it to the next level, you, you, you can have a small element of wait and see, but there cannot be a large element of that, you know? Mm -hmm. And how I've seen that play out is, well, you know, I posted some things to Instagram and I'm just gonna wait and see if anyone replies. And I posted, you know, a few things yeah. to LinkedIn and um, I'm just gonna wait and see, you know, and, and just have people respond to me. And so, you know, what, you sit there and you call them back a few days later and go, well, how did that go? You know? Yeah. And, I mean, okay, maybe they got a couple people. For sure, I've done that too. I have to admit that's not a completely wrong way of acting or a bad strategy. But the point is, you have to have a plan, like you have told me, past that initial, you know, touch point. And you have to have a bigger plan. You can't just say, oh, well, I'll wait and see what happens. And I think that's where a lot of the mistakes happen because it's like anything. Things take off really quickly. I always say both good and bad and things catch up really quickly, both good and bad, right? It's like mm -hmm. that silly analogy of having one cupcake one night is not going to do anything to you and that's not a big deal and that's fine. You have one cup cake every night for a month <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. right and so same same basic concept applies to everything and I think sometimes in the in the in the heat of the moment and when you are maybe like you always say the solopreneur who has a lot of pressure to be everything you're both the CFO you're the creator you're the person you're the customer service rep you're the doer you know, you get pulled in so many directions and you may not necessarily prioritize. And that's sort of my number three is the prioritization of mm -hmm. what's important, right? And so you need to sit there and say to yourself, okay, you know, I have X amount of money to spend or I have X amount of money revenue that I'd like to make. Well, let's break down the priorities within that goal and really understand mm -hmm. 
you know, this is not going to be important to achieve that or whatever it is. And I think it's so easy to get really caught up in all of the things that we need to do. And you probably see this way more than I do. Um, but you need to have a clear plan and you really need to have someone, you, you brought up a good point that I want to dive into too, is the shame behind the numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's touch on that. And just, I want to hit on the fact that you t- talked about the, the posting on Instagram or I posted and this, that this happened, or I, I reached out to this person and, you know, let's wait and see what happens. This is why the difference between the giant difference maker between the entrepreneurs who I see who are succeeding and the ones who stay stuck is speed of implementation. It's, you don't just post an Instagram once you post on Instagram consistently, and then you follow up with the people who are liking what you post. And then you, and you follow up with the people that you're reaching out to personally again, and you have a sales process. And with that, that massive business mistake of speed of implementation to touch on your third point, which is, I hope everyone is taking notes because this is fantastic. This is like freaking gold. When you are starting a business, the startup costs, like what Carolina said about what are your startup costs? So often we are putting in startup costs into things that actually aren't bringing in direct revenue. Like you don't need a website unless you're a web designer. You don't need a website. Like you don't, you don't need a lot of the stuff that you think you need to get started. What you need is a sales process and to be able to bring in revenue, to be able to to bring in that money. And so often it's very easy. You don't even need an Instagram. You don't need a LinkedIn. I mean, you might want a LinkedIn to reach out to prospects, but like you, it's, 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 it's looking at what is it that you actually need? And you actually need a sales process and a way to bring in that revenue instead of all these other little things that a lot of creative entrepreneurs I see prioritize where they prioritize the, the, let me just draw some like Pinterest images on Canva and let me write a blog and let me launch a podcast, but they're not bringing in income simply because they don't have sales processes in place. Yes. So true. And I know you and I have talked about that. And I know, you know, your first reaction to me, um, both, you know, just in general and for me specifically was you don't have to have every single little box, you know, ticked off and perfect and then say, okay, world, I'm ready to go because all of those things could mean nothing if you have no one coming in and asking for your service. And I say that completely from experience because that's exactly the mistake that we did in my e-commerce company. So, you know, waiting, waiting and delaying, spending marketing dollars and, and PR dollars and getting a website built and doing all the fancy stuff to make it look really fancy, but there were no sales in the beginning. And so, and, and like, and, and then we had all this investment capital that, that we'd spent so I say that from experience, please listen, do as I did not do. <laughs> so looking at the shame behind the numbers, let's dive into that. When, when people are experiencing the shame or the guilt around money, how do you advise them to separate, to just be able to look at their balance sheet as just a snapshot of, of cause and effect? Yeah. I mean, I I think you almost in a way answered the question. I think a lot of people don't do exactly that, right? It's like they tie it into their own sense of self-worth and 
Oftentimes, you know, I've even seen this with women that I've spoken with, you know, who are starting businesses and they flat out have told me, you know, my husband thinks it's like a hobby, so he's not supportive, but she has like this really fabulous idea that has complete proof of concept. And I say, well, you know, F that, like, just go get funding from someone else. Like, don't let someone else, you know, tell you that your, your dream isn't, isn't real or whatever the, you know, whatever the statement was. And so, um, so I think there's like, there's like shame and there's uncomfortable feelings around it and sort of that sense of like, you know, well, people think it's a hobby. So like, I can't, you know, it's not really real then. And so that sort of diminishes the feeling of power and self-worth that's in it. Right. And so that's tricky, right? That's definitely tricky. And I think that that needs to be overcome in some way before you can actually really go out there and, you know, move forward. And there's no easy answer for that. But I think that's a very prevalent um, discussion point. And look, the shame around numbers, um, what I will say is that that is a way bigger topic and a way bigger thing than anyone puts value on. Mm -hmm. I think so many people really struggle with that. And it's absolutely incredible the level of like discomfort that people have just talking about money. Like I, I remember on Wall Street, you know, rightly or wrongly, but it was always like, completely taboo to ever talk about what your bonus was with any of your colleagues right and let's not kid ourselves the reality is is because senior management didn't want others to know where the massive differentiation was because once you knew that you would have such an hr case that they couldn't be able to explain why that would happen right so mm -hmm. anyway my, my point in telling that story is like it creates this feeling of like, well, uh, you know, I don't really want to talk about how much I make and I don't want to really tell people what my revenue is. And I don't really want to tell people that I put this much on my credit card and I'm in like X amount of debt. But you know what? What I tell people that come to me with that is I say the very first step of getting yourself out of this mess is absolutely owning it, absolutely not being ashamed of it. And absolutely just saying, like you said before, this isn't me. This isn't a reflection of me. It's just what it was an action with a result, whatever mm -hmm. the result was. And there needs to be a plan around this to either, you know, pay the IRS back what we need to pay them, or even if it's not in debt, just how to, you know, press forward with the plan that will help make the business revenue positive. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know this more than I do, but I see this so much. And this was really one of the biggest impetuses for me getting started here was women tying their self-worth to this topic. And I mean, none of us are surprised by that, right? But it's this, you know, women that just go out saying, well, I'm not going to charge for that, or I'm only going to charge, you know, $100 for that. And you know, I know you have this. Girl, I'll give that away. It's it's for <laughs> friends. Like, and I'm like, if your friend really was your friend, they would pay you. Like, they would honor the fact that you have a job and that they would pay you. Well, and like, I know you've said to me many times, and, you know, as many of us really grab onto, we are 
completely doing not only ourselves, but the other person a disservice because they're the one that has the ability to decide if they will or will not pay you. It's not up to us to tell them, right? So if you say, look, here's my fee, X, Y, Z, you decide if you're going to pay it, right? And that's, that's how it works. And so there's nothing wrong with, you know, charging what you think is appropriate and not being shy about it. And I think that there's also a lot of shame around that, especially for women. And so mm-hmm. I just, you know, as much as you do, I just really want women to have less shame and fear around numbers. And I want them to just be fully empowered with understanding what they are so that they could stand in front of Mark Cuban and have a really smart ass answer when he asks a smart ass question. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> and looking looking at that, um, the the fact that you you tied it into like the numbers being simply um, uh, the the result of, of just some actions that were taken. And I like to think of it from the perspective of like look at th- take a scale for example. You step on a scale and you're five pounds heavier. Okay. That's the result because the past week you've been sitting in quarantine and like haven't really been moving. Okay. So that just, so then you just learn to take, oh, well then that probably just means I need to move my body. And so that that way, so the, 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 the number on the scale, just like the number on your balance sheet, that's just like the number of, of, of gross and net revenue that you're making. It's a reflection of the actions. It's not a reflection of who you are. It's a reflection of the things that you've been doing in your business. And it, it's, it's a sign. It's a snapshot in time that allows you to, to see that. So what would you say are the three most crucial numbers that every business owner needs to know in their business, like, and be able to call it forth like that? Yeah. Um, so I would say, so I would say a few things. I mean, one is obviously simple and basic and I know people will say well yeah but that's not always the case is your pro forma so that means projected out revenues for the year so on an annualized basis when you start the year off and kind of look at what you're looking to have be your year end goal and not pie in the sky there will be some you know, strategy that goes into deciphering what that number is, Mm -hmm. but it's a pro forma, you know, both gross revenue and then backing out all of the expenses. And on that point, I often notice that people underestimate the expenses that go into it and are also not super well-versed on deductions that you can take on your business. And so I'm not an accountant, I'm not a CPA, you know, accountants can absolutely help with those specifics, but I often do get the question, you know, well, can't my accountant help me with this? You know, they can, but accountants won't be giving you strategy, okay? They are just looking at you and saying, you give me the numbers and I tell you what you owe the IRS. Like they are not giving you advice on what you should be doing, shouldn't be doing. You should have done that. You shouldn't have done this. Or, you know, there's no strategy. It's just like, you give me the P&L. I have no idea how you came up with that. I'm not going to question it. I come up with what you write the check to the IRS and the state, you know, uh, the, the state that you live in on an annual basis. So, and if you, and PL is a profit and loss statement yeah. for those who are just starting their businesses. 
Um, and I love the fact that you, you, you brought up accountants because so often we tr like, we think, oh, well, my accountants should handle this. Your account. I love the fact that you touched on this because this is why having a virtual CFO or a financial consultant to guide you. So, or like, cause if you want to hire a CFO, that's like a, a $500,000 salary that you're, you're talking in. Unless if your business is not making that much, then don't, don't invest exactly. in that. Exactly. But you can definitely invest in having a virtual CFO that gives you strategy as to where the numbers are coming from. So for example, like with, um, if you sell a product-based business, there is different tax for every single city and every single state. And a CFO will know that um, and help be able to help you guide on, on in those arenas. But an accountant, you, you just give them the numbers and they work the numbers for you. Exactly. Like, like for all of us, right? On our yeah. normal annual taxes. Um, the other number that isn't probably talked a lot about, but I think is incredibly important is um, basically your, it's called the burn rate. And that's more of a corporate um, term, but it's applicable to anything. And it basically is just how much cash or capital do you go through on a monthly basis to sustain your business? And that is way different than profit and loss, mm -hmm. but it does feed into that. And oftentimes, you know, again, going back to what we were saying before, when you are the CFO, the CEO, the creative, the website developer, the customer service rep, like all of the above, you're sort of like just spending, 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 spending. And then all of a sudden at the end of the month, you see like, holy shit, like I spent, you know, X amount, that's your burn rate. You know, you go yes. through the cash pretty quickly and the calculation on the actual rate is how much cash you have, period, in your bank account, like whatever the number is, and you basically divide that by how much you're spending per month and you get an actual you know, figure. So again, that's kind of technical and use like at large corporations to help determine a lot of other formulas that are more important, but I think it's critical that you understand how much cash you're spending and what's going into, like you said before, actually bringing in revenue, right? So if you're buying expensive business cards, just as an example, is that actually serving you to bring in clients? Only you can answer that. Yeah, and I think that that is, that's where knowing your KPIs or your key performance indicators and what really moves the needle toward profit is so essential. And I love the fact that you gave that formula for the burn rate because how you do anything is how you do everything. And if for my solopreneurs and entrepreneurs who want to grow to multi-million dollar business corporations, like that's a corporation, by the way, like you are, if you have a corporation, you are the CEO of a corporation, operate like the corporations do, knowing the numbers that corporations know and yeah. burn rate would be one of them so that you know how exactly. fast, because I've seen this with entrepreneurs who are making, you know, 5k a month, but they're spending 4,900. And I've seen this also with entrepreneurs making 50k a month and they're spending 49,000. So yeah. it's a, it's a close percentage to the same burn rate. So Correct. it's, and, 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 and,
Okay, um, I was gonna say the very important fact on that that I often see when people do exactly what you just described, it goes back to the whole wait and see strategy. Well, this month I didn't you know, make the 100 grand, but next month I will, and then so I'll be 50 grand ahead of where I thought I would be. You know, So it's sort of like you can't have this like pie in the sky strategy that is going to maybe help you achieve what you think you didn't achieve the month prior. You know, every month is very, very delicate and you have to know exactly what's going on at all times. And you also have to have a good sense of, you know, like you were saying before, like, okay, so what if something like Corona does come up or what if, you know, whatever the, the case might be for your business, like what's the worst case scenario and understanding what that could do to you and how much cash you have on hand to function for how many months without, you know, income coming into the business. Um, and then the last thing, I know you asked for three, and I think this is really important going back to my Shark Tank example, but I think it's so relevant is, um, you know, we often see these entrepreneurs stand up there and kind of give their spiel. And then they say, I'm asking for, you know, whatever the number is, $100,000 of investment for a, you know, 10% stake. Right. So then Mark Cuban and all of the other sharks ask, well, so the valuation on your business is then based on the number that you're providing. Right. Because you're saying a hundred thousand is worth 10%. So therefore your business is worth X amount, depending on what you're asking for. You should have a very, very good understanding of if someone came in and knocked on your door tomorrow and said, I'd like to purchase your business, you would know exactly what that number is and how to break it down. Because you really never know when someone's going to come knocking, right? And of course, you don't have to say yes immediately, but it just gives you a good sense of like where exactly you're a little bit pie in the sky, right? Because you might not be there but it also just shows that you have a very good sense of where you are and are going. And it's not some inflated number where you see, again, back to Shark Tank, they look at them and they're like, you're out of your mind. Like there's no way that your business is worth a million dollars or 10 million or whatever the number is. Yeah. So I think that you have to have a little bit of a reality check on that too. And I love the fact that you brought up selling your company because I, I, I could feel the gasp from my audience of like, oh, no, <laughs> sell my baby? Would I do that? Now, if you are going to be a business owner, eventually there comes a time where you may not sell your company to like some third party entity, but looking at what is your exit strategy. Like I think, and every time I think of exit strategy, I think of like the scene from Finding Nemo where they're with the turtles and <laughs> rolling through there. But that's just cause I'm a mom. But like having an exit buddy, an exit strategy. So you know how you are going to be owning the business instead of just always operating in it. And so can you go into a bit of, when have you seen entrepreneurs who are either ready to sell or they really don't want to sell, but they're not really sure what selling actually means because they don't, they still want to be a part of their business, but they're not quite sure what, what that, how to navigate those waters. 
Yeah, so back to the example I was giving earlier with my um, one client who's a fine art gallery owner. Um, you know, I think oftentimes when, so, so, so two scenarios, right? So one is you could be successful and be presented with an opportunity to either have a major investment in your business or someone to, you know, purchase a percentage of it or, you know, perhaps buy you out completely. And mm -hmm. again, you know, you have to be very well versed in your numbers to understand whether or not it's a good deal, right? So it's like the same thing as if you own a house, if someone knocks on your door and your house is really worth, you know, a million dollars, but offers you 600,000, you're probably not going to say yes to that. But if you do, <laughs> right, exactly. But if you didn't even know that your house was worth a million dollars, 600 grand doesn't sound so bad. So you might just be like, heck, that's a great number, right? So you really have to have a good sense um, of, of what exactly you're, going for and what your your ultimate as you say exit strategy is so you could either be presented with a complete you know full buyout and um in private equity terms when you get a private investor to come in and you know put money into your business that's called um you know a full a buyout essentially so they buy out mm -hmm. the business and there might be some you know, terms that they work out that you're paid a certain percentage for a certain amount of years or a trailing, um, you know, some sort of trailer fee or whatever the case might be. Um, but you would hire someone to help you work through that. You certainly would not try to go out and do that on your own because you probably would be making a lot of mistakes if you're not well-versed on, you know, the methodologies behind that. Um, yeah. Or, or if you have your partner trying to buy you out, definitely get help with that. <laughs> with that you know. Yes, I know. <laughs> yep. Um, and then, you know, there, there are other strategies too that you could be presented with where it doesn't look as daunting. So it doesn't appear that you're giving up a lot of equity in the business, but the deal itself is not actually that lucrative or that beneficial to you. Um, I spoke to someone who told me that they were offered um, like a $600,000 investment in their, in their company, which was certainly substantial. Um, it was meaningful. And, you know, the, the finance rate came out to be like, I, I looked at the model myself. She couldn't figure this out, but the finance rate looked to be something like eight or 9%. And I said to her, you could probably go get a small business loan or now with Corona, I'm sure even something better than that at yeah. a much lower rate. So if you're not well-versed on, you know, what the, what the percentages are of what people are coming at you with in terms of their offer and what mm -hmm. the interest that you eventually pay on that loan is, you know, you could be making a bad decision because again, you're like, oh, 600 grand, that sounds amazing. Yeah, of course I'll pay a little percentage, you know, interest on it because that's the right thing to do. But when I dug into it, I was like, how does this person think that this is a good deal for you? I, you know, I think he probably thought you were just going to say yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if she hadn't asked me, she might have. <laughs> yeah. And as my, as my husband says, that, that money is expensive. Right. <laughs> because totally when you don't, when yeah, when you don't know the percentage, that, that money can be expensive. Yeah. And by the way, that's an absolutely real Wall Street term. Like, it's like cheap money or expensive money. It's a valuation. It's like, 
that stock is you know cheap right now or that borrow is cheap or that's totally an expensive borrow right now so it's the same concept you know so i'd love to dive into venture capital and when is a business ready to seek either personal equity or venture capital yeah so let me break down um, um pe so private equity and vc venture capital so um vc is a lot more risky it is a pool of money that you know the founders of the venture capital firm whoever they are pool together from investors to invest in um, private startups and so the reason why that is very risky is because these startups are typically at a very nascent stage in their life cycle um, they might have a fabulous idea, which, you know, could probably really take off and, um, you know, they're looking for funding to help take the business to the next level in order to help them grow. So the trick with VC is as follows. You um, are probably getting a lot of money as a business owner, but it's probably roughly an 80 to 20 ratio, meaning there's probably an 80% failure rate on that investment, maybe a 20% success rate on that investment, but on the 20% success, you're probably making a lot of money. So when you have both um, the investors who any, any venture capital firm that exists out there, and there are so many of them that both look at, you know, large startups and smaller scale startups, um, when they're looking and doing, you know, what they call due diligence on your business, which of course, back to my point before, you're going to have to fill out and know a ton about your business in order to even apply for, you know, any sort of funding. Yep. Um, it's basically lifting up, lifting up your skirt and showing them all the bits. <laughs> like exactly. you gotta, you gotta show them everything. Yep. And, you know, probably won't be surprising, you know, these are finance individuals, so they know exactly what to look for and exactly what to dig around for. And, you know, the VC world really is looking for success in one business. They're placing a lot of bets with the knowledge that most of them will fail because they're risky, but the one that takes off will help cover and make up for the losses of all of the other ones that they invested in. Now, the thing with VC is, you know, you have to understand that individuals will, you know, depending on how your, your contract is, is um, written and what your legal teams decide makes sense for the deal, um, you will be giving up a stake in the company and you could be giving up the right to actually say, I want it done this way, right? Mm -hmm. And that's very difficult, as we know, for some entrepreneurs because it was their baby like you said before it's what they you know they it's their creative outlet it's their heart and soul yeah it's and i it's, don't want someone else telling me how to run my business so if that's the route that you want to go down you have to be very mindful of what that potentially could look like for you um now again that being said you know, there's a lot of success in terms of the, you know, sky's the limit if you actually do take off and do quite well with some sort of funding from VC. Um, 
Private equity is sort of the next stage up. It's a little less risky. It's typically with companies that are pretty well established, you know, large revenue, very successful, high ROIs, which is return on investment, um, and really are just looking similar to VC for money to either take their business to the next level or are just a great buying opportunity and this private equity firm sees them as something that they want to invest in. Um, concepts are the same. You're giving up a piece of equity as the owner, but it's typically a lot less risky. And that's where you sort of get into the things like you've heard before, like a series A round, a series B round, and it goes all the way up to series G where it's different rounds of funding for, you know, different needs and it, and it helps, um, you know, achieve different milestones in the life cycle of the business. And as, as many of us know, you know, private equity is a very, very lucrative um, endeavor to consider both as an investor in the space and also as, you know, a business owner, because ultimately that's really what a lot of individuals are looking to do, right? If you look at people who have some successful, again, more larger scale businesses, they would love to sell it to private equity because that's basically like a guaranteed cash flow, a guaranteed buyout. And you've got names, you know, like bigger firms. And again, I'm talking like much up the scale, but you've got like Blackstone, KKR, all of these extremely well-known private equity firms that, you know, help make millionaires and billionaires out of the owners of those initial companies. Mm -hmm. So looking at, so I, that was like a deep dive into if any of you have yeah. an idea, and I, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, if any of you have an I idea, hope, I yet, hope like get some eye rolls, like, oh my God, what is all of this? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, and, and good, good. If you don't, I mean, and if you don't, if that was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I, like that was a tidal wave of information and yet you're looking to grow and scale and, and really take your business to the next level, you know, private equity and venture capital are two things that you can look into once you know your numbers so that it's something that you can, it's, it's an option to explore. And it's like, it's my job, like my purpose on this planet is to be just such a warrior for possibility and to illuminate sometimes Oh, perfect, perfect word, especially for having Carolina on since her company is called Illuminate, but to yeah. illuminate some other options that sometimes creative, artistic entrepreneurs do not see or think of that actually could provide you with so much more um, ease, at yeah. ease or, or opportunity. So just know that those are those are more options for you. I would love to dive in, Carolina, with how how did you get into personal fine like financing and this world and and get such a strong money mindset? Yeah, so um so backing up, I come from a family where my mother was a um, very strong contributor to the family's, you know, balance sheet per se. Yeah. And, you know, this was back in the, uh, in the eighties where, you know, it was classic, you know, New York city. I grew up in right outside of New York city and, um, you know, my mom commuted to the city every day and, you know, was one of these like very serious, 
business ladies. And, um, you know, I grew up in, in a neighborhood where a lot of the moms were stay at home. And I never knew anything else other than that. My grandmother was also a bookkeeper in her day. So like in the 40s and 50s, when it was also very rare to have, you know, a woman working outside of the home. Um, and my aunt was a, um, a global diplomat and she lived all over the, the, the world in different places and had a very high um, career with the State Department. So, so I just come from a family of really amazing, talented and, you know, strong women who sort of just created this um, feeling within me that that's like, that's what you're supposed to do. And, you know, like, why, like, that's what you do. And so, yeah, yeah, it it was like, there was no other question. I just didn't even think that that would be something I wouldn't do. And so I remember having a conversation with my mom when I was applying to college and she's like, listen, you're good at math. I think you should, you know, be a business major and go into some sort of finance job. And because I just absolutely idolized my mom and kind of still do, I was like, okay, mom, you know, and luckily mom knew best. And that was the path that I took. You know, I was someone that never really veered off of what I studied in college. I went right into wall street. Um, you know, not saying that any other path is good or bad, but that was just my particular path where I studied one, you know, one subject or one um, focus and stuck to it in my career. And so that's really how finance came about. And I moved to New York City in the late in the late 90s and basically had, had been there until last year. So, you know, 21 years in a very male-dominated environment um, with a lot of learning experiences and a lot of intensity and a lot of really um, intense situations kind of created in me this tenacity and this ability to like deal with struggle um, to a point where I just, I didn't even know anything else. And sort of like you were saying before, like it doesn't always have to be that hard. And that was a realization that I came to pretty much recently. You know, it doesn't have to be a huge struggle and you don't have to have a million different degrees or pedigrees or certifications or whatever the case might be to be of help to other people. And so when I came out to LA, um, I took a minute and took a break and decided to kind of think about what I wanted to do next. And I started exploring some you know, business options in the, in the Los Angeles ecosystem. And I was really excited to get back into it. And that felt comfortable because that was what I had done for so long. And I woke up one morning and I just said to myself, you know, this is just so disempowering. And I know I've talked to you about this. Like it doesn't feel good to just be sitting there waiting for someone else to call you back when I know my worth and I know my skill set and you know this is BS basically and I just said F it like I am not gonna sit here and just wait for someone to kind of pull me out of something. And so I just had this epiphany. I had met so many awesome women since I moved to LA and you know, really just was embraced by the community here and felt so at home and really just decided that in the interim, I wanted to just be of help to these amazing women. 
And it really wasn't this massive business idea. And that's pretty much how I got started. And then it's sort of, as you know, it's sort of like one thing leads to the next and rolls into the next. And I realized there's such a need in the ecosystem for this topic that I never even knew. And so um, I'm so grateful for my finance background because it's allowed me to, you know, obviously live the existence I've lived. But I'm just as equally grateful for leaving that world and having the ability to translate my skills into something else that I feel just has so much more purpose. You know, it really just has so much more purpose. And that's really what I'm excited about is just being more of service to other women and diving in to help others really just achieve their highest potential. So I know, I I know a long-winded answer, but I feel like I need, you know, I always love that question because it's like an opportunity to tell your story. I hope that it, um, I hope it inspires someone out there. (laughs) I mean, I, I love, I love your story. I too was raised by a very, very strong woman who just made it seem so normal and natural, like to just be a business owner. Um, Like, cause that's all, that's all I knew. And I saw my parents grow their company with my dad being an addict from like, bare, like I remember there were times where like we wouldn't be able to go out for a nice meal when we were starting out, but I saw them grow it into a multi-million dollar company. And oh. like with my dad being an addict and I'm like, I, that there's a lot to say for my mom's tenacity and resilience because he was the, he's always been like the face and the personality and great with customer relations, but she is the business and she loves yeah. it. And it just, when you're raised in that, in that situation, you have a massive respect for people who don't, who haven't been raised in that. Because yeah. I, I take it as such a blessing because I see my my clients who start out who want to grow their businesses who are doing their business who are doing it but they're getting advice from maybe their parents um yeah. who are still in an employee situation and that's not really always the best person to go to for advice especially if it's about your business Agreed. and that's why I, i'm a big a big proponent in having a coach, having a financial consultant, having, having advisors like Carolina, like myself, that, that just allow you to make your business and the success and start operating at a different level, make success seem normal for you for one and make knowing your numbers seem normal for you. As I I forget which one of my clients it was who said this, but she said, you know, wealthy people don't like they're, uh, who was it? She said, only, only poor people don't like talking about money. Uh, and I was, <laughs> like people who have, who have money are very comfortable with, with dropping money. Now I understand from your situation with right. the whole bonuses and sharing about that and that ecosystem, but having money and being able to say a number of 500,000 making 50 K a month, like it rolls right. off the tongue. And yeah. for people who aren't, who ha- aren't there yet, surrounding yourself with a community or, or advisors or coaches or consultants like Carolina that, that have that, have had that experience and make it seem normal is, is why it, it, it so deeply contributes to other, to the success and to growing your business. And, and so I'm just, I'm so excited to see you serve such a whole new realm of women with what you do, because it's going to be so extraordinary. 
so excited. And, um, and I think you raised a really important point is surrounding yourself with support, which, you know, I know people toss out that phrase a lot or that concept, it's nothing like novel, but I can't overemphasize that enough, like you were saying, is ask for help in some capacity. And I get that that might be a financial investment if you're hiring a coach or whatever the case might be, but um, there are so many ways to be creative about how to get help, right? You can kind of do like a barter system. You could maybe ask for a couple of hours of coaching in return for some service that you can offer that person. Or, mm -hmm. you know, there are so many online tutorials now and podcasts that, you know, can be of service. Of course, there's a limitation to that because it's not customized to your needs. But I think it's very, very important to surround yourself um, with cheerleaders, with support, with knowledge, um, and really just getting everybody to help you be accountable for the growth of your business and ultimately your success. And I think that, that that's such an important point to just dive in real quick about the, the type of support. Because yes. going to, like, I'm, you know, it, your family can support you, your husband can support you, your friends can support you. But sometimes when you're going for a goal, when you're going for a big dream, some people either won't see it, but those are, may not be the people to ask for advice if they do not have the results that you desire. So Correct. if they are not getting the results that you are looking to achieve with this dream, go to people who have results or who have experience in that area. So that way, who, who have a, a who so that way you're getting advice from people who are actually doing it instead of what somebody has what your mom has seen on Shark Tank and what you know Mark Cuban may think. <laughs> right. no, I'm not like I have no connection to them just for the record. I just love <laughs> But um but that's a very good point because I think as you know you know, hiring a coach, obviously you want to see your client succeed and you are sort of tied to their outcome, but you are an unbiased person related to their outcome, right? It's like you didn't win or lose if your client didn't get the outcome that they were hoping for. And I think that yeah. when you kind of mix it up with family, it gets a little complicated and it becomes a little too biased. Um, so I think it's important, you know, look, at one point last year when I was kind of going through my whole situation and leaving New York and figuring out what was next, you know, I, I joke, I had like six people on speed dial, you know, I had like my business coach, my therapist, my like LA energy healer, like all these people. And it was like rotation after rotation. But looking back on it now, I definitely could not have gotten to where I am without that support. So figure out a way to make that be part of your, you know, strategy, especially on the accounting and the numbers and don't rely just on your accountant because again, there's not going to be strategy behind that. It's just, or just on your own spreadsheet either. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably yeah. A, a tricky path to go down to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's wrap it up with a little bit of rapid fire. Are you game Carolina? I love this. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, so I think I know what to expect. <laughs> no! Oh my gosh. See, I knew you would do your research, so I have to ask different questions. 
but good. I probably you're won't. Good. So yeah, you're good. So, so who's your favorite female character in a book or a movie and why? Oh, I don't have that one. Um, but I would have to say, and she, I mean, she's kind of, a, I mean, she's a real life person, so I'll just give that, but it's a character, you know, from back in the day. I have recently been so inspired by Joan of Arc, and I'll tell you why. She's from the 1400s, like everybody knows of Joan of Arc being burned at the stake, but if you actually do some reading on her, you know, she's a woman that stood up to a lot of men in a time where that was probably way uncooler than it is now. And, you know, she requested to be a leader in a war and, you know, she was basically told that she was not worth it and had a lot of, you know, she was a liar and a lot of things. And I just was thinking about her and wow, like this struggle has, for women has gone on for so long. So I think when you go back to, you know, periods like the 1400s and see that these struggles have been there since then, you're inspired to continue to forge ahead and see how far that we've come in that movement. Oh, you just gave me truth bumps because I totally uh, like when you get some perspective on like how far we, we have come and how far we have to go, like there is a lineage that we are stepping into that we have to honor of the women who have came, come before us. Very so true. speaking of women, what uh, female would you love to trade places with just for a day? Like you can, you can jump into their body. You can live their life. Who would you want to experience their world and their life just for a day? Oh, that is so cool. Um, gosh, I have a couple that like come to mind. Um, well, I would say first and foremost, and I'm just like a big fan of hers and she's a New Yorker, but I love Barbara Corcoran also from Shark Tank, but that has nothing yes. to do with it. <laughs> I really have nothing to do with it. I've been listening to her podcasts. Um, you know, she's a woman that didn't come from, you know, she came from just a normal, humble beginning and we all, we all know what she built and where she came from. And she was doing it at a time in New York city where real estate was a very difficult, um, area to be involved in. And I think she's super inspirational. She's super honest. She talks a lot about just being vulnerable and she even jokes about when she first sold like her first company, she was like, I can't believe I made that much money. I don't even think I deserve it, you know? So it's just this relatability to someone who is, you know, really intelligent and successful and, um, and she's so admirable. And the second one, which I know is like such a cliche, but I just love Oprah. I really do. I mean, who doesn't, right? There's a reason why cliches are cliches and it's because right? they're true. I know. And it's just like, I think about her, I listen to her podcasts. I'm like, we're so lucky to have her as an inspiration in our lifetime. And I just think she really is just that. She's all that in a bag of chips for sure. Yeah. So if your palace had a curse jar, how much money would you have to put into it every day? And by curse jar, I mean a swear jar. Yeah. Huh. This has multiple facets to it financially because it depends on yes. how much you would charge yourself. And it <laughs> I got to know those numbers, baby. <laughs> you got to know your numbers. Exactly. Um, I got to say, probably the only cursing I do is at the dog when she like really misbehaves. So I'm not that bad, but 
if I were to put money in my little gratitude jar, because I do do my little list of gratitudes every morning, I think that would be a pretty hefty amount in my gratitude jar. So I don't know if that counts, but that, that would, I'd be, I'd totally be making counts. money off of that. Totally <laughs> counts. I love it. What would you use to fund your gratitude? Like how would you take that money and then reinvest it? I believe, you know, I'm the type of person that if I find a dollar on the street or, you know, how sometimes we just like find some money that fell somewhere, I absolutely cannot keep it. I absolutely have to like go put it in a church box or give it to like a homeless person when I was living in New York or whatever. So I feel like that's appropriate for that. It's like kind of money that belongs to me, but not really. And I just feel like that's such an easy way to give back to someone and you know, put a smile, hopefully put a smile on someone's face in a super simple way. So that's what I would do. I love it. Um, what, what do you define as your kingdom? Ooh. Um, well, since I moved into this, you know, by New York City standards, massive apartment. And lots of <laughs> children, I feel like I have a kingdom. <laughs> So maybe it's, it's my like new apartment and all of the like amazing space that I have, which again, coming from New York, you're like, this does feel like a kingdom. <laughs> oh, I and, know. Of course, and of course, my dog is part of that kingdom too. Of course. And lastly, how do you crown yourself? Oh, I love that question. Um, you know, I'm a real, I really believe that we have, we as women have to keep our cups really full and not in the way that sort of seems overwhelming or like a task, but I just believe that the more we keep it full, the more we can give to others. You know, I always say like, you can't give from an empty cup. So I, um, I'm a big uh, morning gratitude person, as I mentioned. I do my, my morning meditations and that really just sets the tone for my day and makes me feel like, you know, I'm here to kind of get what I need to get done and my meditations ground me and help me sort of, the things that pop up during that day just roll off my back and help me to keep that cup filled so that I can continue to just find my way to be of service to others. And I think that's really why we're all here ultimately. I couldn't agree more. Lastly, Carolina, where can we find you? How can we work with you? I know there are so many people who are probably listening to this who are just like, oh my gosh, can this girl look at my numbers? <laughs> like, can, can I get some guidance on like where, like what balance sheet, what? So yeah. how, can, how can people who love this episode work with you and, and find you and follow you and follow your journey. Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn right now, just as uh, me. So Carolina Campbell, great way to reach me. Um, I also have a website, which is just getting finished um, in the next week or two, as you know, Kim, and that's illuminate BD. So B is in boy, D is in David strategy.com. And you can also just email me. It's um, illuminatebd, so B as in boy, D as in David, 625 at gmail.com. And um, I do check that email, and I'm happy to be of service to anyone who needs my help. Awesome. All of those links will be in the show notes. So if you 
want to contact Carolina, I highly recommend you get, uh, you, you just get some financial guidance because cash, you may be queen, but cash is king. And so yep. knowing, knowing where your cash flow is, is essential for every business owner and just to feel empowered with your numbers. I mean, and also the, the reason, one of the many reasons why I wanted to have Carolina on is because she's speaking from the perspective because she's a woman too. And so sometimes, you know, when we have those feelings or fears or shame or guilt or whatever those feelings come around your numbers, like she gets it. And so jump in, be sure you contact her if you want a little bit of guidance with where your business is going, with crafting some financial projections, having some awareness of your numbers and just getting, just getting a bit more educated because with that education comes empowerment. And when you have that information and you have someone guiding you, it changes the game for how you show up for your business, which changes the game for how you show up and serve others that, and those that you serve in your business. So Carolina, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Kim. So well said. Such a great session. I love everything that you're doing. I'm so inspired by you and I'm just so grateful to be a part of your community. So thank you for having me on. Absolutely. As always, my fellow Prince in the Beers, own your throne, mind your business and your money because your reign is now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crownyourselfnow or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.